But let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. Man, just loving this book. So, so good. It's one of those ones like, just, we'll teach it again next year. Amen? <laughs> it's good. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, tonight. Remember last time we were together, we were talking about being armed for the battle. Tonight is we're ready for war, brothers. A living hope. So last time we, we were talking about this in chapter one, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. We talked about being armed. Armed for what? Number one, an attitude of Christ. With the attitude of Christ, willing to die. Same mind, verse 1 there. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We talked about that. Those who had been whooped on and beaten for their faith were like, you know, I'm done with this sin thing. This is like, you know, I'm just, don't even have time for it. And he goes on to say, though, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So we were arming ourselves, doing the will of God. And, of course, so, so important, guys, to be doing the will of God. We know that when we don't do the will of God, we're in trouble because we're going down a path of destruction. But then he went on to say, really talking about armed, having no desire for the past, no looking back, no longing like Lot's wife. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. No desire for that junk. It will almost destroy you then. Why would we ever want to turn back? Of course, what does the devil do? He like tells you all the good things. Remember the good stuff. Remember the fun stuff. Never, never remind you about the times you're at the... Uh, the porcelain throne, as they say. Remember those days? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't handle a hangover today. Oh, I'd rather just die. Amen. That's a good thing. But then lastly, armed with the hope of eternal life, down to verse 6, he says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, still alive, but they were, uh, they were living according to God in the spirit. They were already dead, and Jesus went and preached and set the captivity captive, took them to heaven with them. But now, but now, Peter makes this incredible statement, probably the most profound, incredible statement in the Bible. But the end of all things is at hand. Wow. What was going on, man? Imagine living back then. We're being able to transport in time, go back to what was happening, real life, for him to make such an incredible statement. The end of all things is upon us here, is at hand. He says, ever be serious and watchful in your prayers. In reality, though we know that things were going from bad to worse, remember it's, it's around 64 AD, they believe, and they believe from the historians that Rome was set on fire July 18th, 64 AD. Happens to be my wife's birthday. Hmm, on fire. <laughs> so quite possibly, though, Peter wrote this letter after the fire, now, remember, Nero, he was the one who would take and get Christians and put them on stakes and dip them in wax and set them on fire in his garden while he rode through on his chariot as a madman screaming and yelling. He possibly could be uh, an allusion to this idea of the, the, um, being fed to the lions. He did that. 
the fiery trial that is to try you as some strange thing. And it's interesting, you think about being, when they put the Christians there in the Colosseum and they would be fed to the lions. What a horrible way to go. The persecution of the Christians was on the rise, of course. Um, he blamed the Christians, had to use them as scapegoats. Goodness gracious. Peter, though, he knew himself that he was being sought after. Uh, he, he knew his time was short. Second Peter 1.14, written in, they believe, 65 AD, a year later or so, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, he knew it was coming. He could, he could hear the lions. He could smell the fire, so to speak. Of course, we know that Peter was martyred in 66 AD. And, of course, to them, it must have looked like the end of time. Things were going on. And, and yet, here we are, a couple thousand years later, we're still here. And I believe every generation probably has looked at this scripture and, and maybe this, we're it. We're it. And I was thinking about this. Imagine being as old as you are right now, adults, and it's August 6, 1945. What was that day? Yeah, imagine. That's when they dropped the bombs. August 6, August 9th, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Imagine we're here right now and that is going on. What are we thinking? Oh, my gosh, the Lord, it's, it's, he's coming in the clouds right now. Amazing. Think about that. And every, every generation has probably thought the same thing. And, of course, Peter, man, it's over with. And as you look around the world today, what are the signs? What are the signs of the times that we see that make us think that these things are happening? And of course, we know from Scripture, and we're going to turn there. Actually, turn with me right now to Luke chapter 17, because Jesus spoke about the end of days and what it was going to be like. And remember what he said here. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Luke 17. Everybody have their Bibles, right? Everybody's got Bibles out there? Nobody out without a Bible, even if it's a cheap old handheld version. <laughs> I got the classic one right here, the real one. The real one. Luke 17, verse 26, though. And, of course, you know me. I like to take you to the Scriptures so you know the address. You have it. You know it in your own Bible. Verse 26, of course, he's talking to the Pharisees and the disciples. Jesus saying, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we see, carrying on like business as usual. Crazy, though. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in a day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the days of Noah, of course, chapter 6 of Genesis, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then chapter 6, verse 11, the trail of the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And the crazy thing is 120 years go by, and they completely ignore the fact that some crazy guy is building a boat, preaching that judgment is coming. 
And it's the same here. I mean, this could be written of us today, this world today. What? Every intent in the thoughts of heart, evil, continually, wickedness, corruption, violence. <laughs> Sounds like America. And then a lot's time, of course, man, a different thing was going on, but the same thing. They were doing the same thing, carrying on, but a little bit different twist was going on, at least as recorded in Scripture. Genesis 19, 4 and 5, now before, and of course we know the story, the angel of the Lord, angels of the Lord came to grab Lot to pull him out because God was going to toast Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, Abraham finds that out, prays to God, at least if there's any, if there's five righteous, even if there's five righteous, I won't tear it up. And yet, sad to say, so the angels come to Lot, he takes them in the house, and here it is. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Man, these guys were crazy. Surrounded the house. They called Lot and said to him, where are the men that came to unite? Bring them out so we may know them carnally. We understand what that means. Genesis 19, 13, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Jude 7 just wraps it up. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner of the, to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh or perversity of heart, guys, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And it's funny. Now, funny, it's sad, actually, Back when my boys were going to First Lutheran over there on Carson Street, um, they, that was, it's a very liberal uh, sect of Lutheranism there. And, um, and they were okay with the whole homosexual thing to a degree. And so we came in and we challenged them and sat with the pastor and everything. And, and he, he actually quotes, there's, a, there's a, a passage of Scripture in Leviticus that talks about what, why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah because they were not hospitable to the angels of the Lord, which is true. Very unhospitable. But, of course, they use that more like, well, see, yeah, that's all the other scriptures. Yeah, we'll just set them aside. Are you kidding me? God's going to burn cities down and destroy all the people in because they weren't hospitable? I don't know about you. I don't really have the gift of hospitality. I'd be toast right now. I'd be dead. We're going to talk about that gift here in a bit. Man. So, likewise, a lot of times they were going about life as usual, carrying on. But they did not realize how sexually perverse that they had become. They were an abomination to God. Again, ignoring the warning signs. And someone could have written that right now today, and that's where we're at, folks. As it was in the days of Noah. And especially as we have seen in America the incredible rise of the sexual perversion associated with homosexuality and transgenderism and all the craziness with all that. And the fact that because I just said those words, in Canada, you can go to jail. You can go to jail because I said that. Hate speech. We do not hate the sinner. We hate the sin. God's word says it is sin. God's word said it's an abomination. And a, a couple cities were toasted because of it. Sad. Examples of what the world will be like before Christ's return. Then Peter says, therefore, since this is what will be, 
And this is what we believe since all these things are taking place. Now we must be ready for war, you guys. Ready for the war. What type of war? We're going to go to that passage of Scripture again. To you guys all know it. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. What type of war? Of course, a spiritual war. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. How many have this memorized yet? Got to know it in your heart, brothers, because this is the spiritual warfare. This is what we are dealing with here. We don't, we're not worried about somebody coming to the door going to kill us physically. But the devil is, his, his minions, his demons are here. They're, they're going to try. They're doing everything they can. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. It was an armor that wasn't for the physical. It was armor for the spiritual. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. And he goes through what that armor is, you guys. Man. Ready. The spiritual war. Coming in many forms. Tax on our beliefs. Tax on our relationships. Tax on our churches. Tax on our, our faith and such. And so much, guys, and we talked about this in our leadership meeting earlier, the spiritual war takes place right here in our minds. It's crazy. I share with the guys, I don't know, I don't know. Some, I've never really heard someone say, this is how the devil is able to plant a thought into your head. But anybody believe the devil can plant thoughts in your head? I know there's stuff that comes from my flesh and such, but man, I was telling the guys, you could be, you could be in the middle of a worship set, then all of a sudden, where did that come from? And Randy shouts out, fiery darts. Fiery darts is the wicked one. That's true. A dart just, God, and you got to have that shield of faith up and the helmet of salvation to protect your head. It's crazy. It's a real battle, guys. Real battle. Yeah, here's an example for you, okay? So you're pushing your cart around Costco, right? And you're going along there, and then you're coming along, And all of a sudden, some guy looks at you and gives you this look, and you're like, what's up with that, dude? And this is going on in your head. Man, he's mad dogging me. He looked, he looked at me weird. Hey, I wonder, I wonder if he's like, maybe he knows me or something. Does he know who I am? Man, who, he, he's messing with me. I got it. You know what? I'm going to follow him out to his car. I think I'm going to, you know, I, just, I can't believe it. And your mind just goes and goes and goes. And he just, and then you look down at your shirt and there's this gigantic mustard stain from the hot dog you just ate. That's how the enemy works, guys. We've all gone through those little mind trips. It's like before you start over here, and before you know it, you're way over here. And it's like, whoa, reel that in. Take every thought. Captain the Lord, bring it back to earth. Bring it back to reality. Man, the thoughts that come, the lies, the temptations, the images, the imaginations, the situations that are not real. Wow, it's crazy. And you get ripped off by the devil. You would have followed that guy out to his car and got in a fight because he looked at you and he said, hey, brother, you need a napkin for that mustard stain? Oh, thank you, brother. Therefore, Peter tells us to be serious, 
watchful, serious means to be sound mind, sober, watchful, spiritually observant, continually watching. Man, because if an army knows a battle, but the enemy's getting ready to attack, man, they put away the cards, the games are over, the weapons are loaded, they're ready for war. They are serious and they are ready. So three things tonight to be serious about. Number one, be serious about prayer. Verse 7, man, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Only the Lord knows when he's coming back. Even the devil does not know when he's coming back. But he can see the signs of times just as well as we can. And he knows the word better than you do. Serious about prayer, guys. The end of all things, man. And the crazier the world gets, the greater need there is for us to be in prayer. We've heard it before. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting. When Jesus was in the garden with the disciples, what happened? What took place? Man, here's Jesus just like agonizing in prayer, and here's us over here. He says, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? What an indictment. Watch and pray, though, guys. Watch and pray. Why? Why does he say watch and pray? Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But when it comes to our prayer lives, unfortunately, like disciples, most are asleep. Why is prayer such a struggle? It's obvious why. Because the devil does not want you or me talking to God. So he's going to throw everything at it, even fatigue, even sleepiness. We have that. You're going to go to bed tonight, and you're going to do your devotions at night. That's why you, I can't do devotions at night. This is a sleeping pill. I mean, you just read it, oh, I'm out. I mean, it's kind of nice, but it's just like, man, the devil, the spiritual opposition to prayer is incredible, brothers. Man, and the church needs to get serious about prayer. You know, Pastor Lester, I think he, still, he started it up again, but they're doing the prayer on Monday mornings, right? Like five people show up. Yep, because Dodger Larry's one of them. How many people go to this church? Man. And why, though? Maybe no one believes the Lord is coming back. Maybe as Christians in, in, around, man, it's business as usual. We don't see the signs of the times. We're not paying attention. We're not serious. Caught up too much in this earthly life. Got to pay the bills. Got to get ahead. Got to get the next, next, next thing. We must become serious, guys. What does prayer do for us? Number one, prayer brings peace to our lives, there is nothing better than spending time with your wonderful counselor. And the peace that comes, sitting there, just talking to God. Just talking over your life. Touch. And you got to look at him that way in that sense. He is your counselor. If you came in to get counsel from me, how will we talk? How will we behave? Or would there be like some kind of formal? No, you just talk. We, got, we go back and forth. Prayer brings peace. Prayer keeps us close to God's heart. You're in communion and fellowship with him. As, as we go through our day, you guys, hanging out with the Lord. Three, 
Prayer reminds us that he is able. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or think according to the power of the words. Why is that when I hang out with? Because I'm talking to God here. I'm not, you're not talking to me. You're not talking to someone. You're talking the creator, the big guy, through it all and everything. <laughs> There's nothing that he can't do. Nothing. Nothing. Reminds us that he's able and before prayer keeps us focused on God. Not the problem or the trial. Turn with me again. Psalm 61. Turn, come on, here. this page is turning. 61. How many, how many of you guys know Psalm 61? Who can quote it? Hear my cry, O God, attending to my prayer from the ends of the earth. Will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed? Lead me to what? To the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever, and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Man, focused on God. I'm not, I, I look at the problem and I get over, it's terrible. No, look to God. Look to God. Prayer keeps me focused on God. The devil will come in and try and distract you even in prayer. A lot of times it'll be in prayer and then what happens? Oh, man, I got to take care of this. Okay, write it down real quick. Get back to prayer. Oh, I got to, you know. and Sometimes I remember Pastor Chuck talking about that. I think I shared with you guys where he would say, oh, thank you, devil. <laughs> I got another. Just remember another thing I got to take care of. And he'd, he'd kind of make a joke out of it. Serious about prayer, number two. Serious about love, verse 8 through 9. And above all things. And above all things. Have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Man, above all things. Above all things, have fervent love. Chapter 1, verse 22, Peter said, love one fervently. Fervent means intently, earnestly, like a runner who is heading to the finish line. Usain Bolt. Is Usain Bolt still running? Is he running the Olympics in summer? Anybody know? No, huh? He's retired, huh? Sitting on them millions. But you're, you're a runner running for the finish line, and you're coming, and you're, it's down to the wire and at the end, you give it the most effort that you can. You're straining. You're stretching out for the time. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means to have fervent love. Why all the emphasis on love? Because true love, guys, covers a multitude of sins. This is Proverbs 10, 12. It's a type of love that looks beyond the shortcomings of others. It recognizes that none of us is perfect, that we all fall short. We're all in this mess together. And, of course, Peter, what he's saying, that in the midst of suffering and persecution and trials, it's going to get harder and harder to maintain this type of love. Because you know what? When it's on, it's every man for himself. And that can't be the Christian way. Great stress. And, and crisis, everything, man, it's easy to lash out. We go through that now. You had a bad day, come home, your wife says, hey, honey, how was your day? Hey, it, was, it was fine. Man, what are you bugging me for? You know, Hold on a minute. Man, we lash out instead of love, and, and love's going to be most tested in our relationships. 
Because the enemy's goal is to try to destroy relationships, to come in between the husbands and wives and sons and daughters and co-workers and brothers and sisters in the church. Why? Because of his threefold plan is to what? Steal, kill, destroy. Threefold plan of Satan. And Peter no doubt knew this. He saw it taking place. He says, have fervent love above all things, my brothers. What's it look like? Number one, we love God and love others. I love when the Katinas were here and they had their shirt and said, love God, love people. That's it. Jesus, the greatest commands. All the law and all the prophets contained in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That's pretty simple. That's the kind of stuff I like about the Bible. I don't like all, no, just love God, love others. I, I, two things I got to do. Two things. Two of the most difficult things on this planet, amen? Interesting though, 1 John 4, 7, 8 says that love is proof. Our love is proof that we know him. Woo! Do you know the Lord? Sure I do. Hate my neighbor though. Makes noise all the time, smoking dope over there. And and the, <laughs> I got a neighbor's right behind me. They love to smoke cigars. God bless them. I, I want to get like a ten foot fan when they start puffing in their backyard and just kind of just blow it all back at them. I mean, it's literally so bad we got to close up all the windows in our house because the the breeze is coming this way. You know, <laughs> it's like. Okay, Lord. And I start thinking, I'm going to start smoking my own cigars. I'm going to It'll blow back in my own face, though. Love God, love others, guys. Number two, focus on love, not on each other. That's my responsibility towards God, my obedience to what he says. i got to focus on love. I can't, not even those you're closest to. See, the tendency is going to be that we're going to become critical. We're already critical of others, right? But what did Jesus say when we started getting judgmental, we started thinking we're all high and mighty? What's it say about the plank and the speck? That I'm supposed to take your plank out because I got a little tank. No, 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 no. I, our plank is so big, how can I even see your speck? That's what he's saying. Man. That's the truth right there. Man, remove the plank in your own eye first. Sheesh. But I tell you, the legalist, whoo, they ain't got no speck. They don't got no plank. It's all, you guys all got the problem. <laughs> I already got it cleaned up here, man. I, I got this thing down with the Lord. No. Love God and love others. Focus on love, not each other. Number three, let being hospitable in the context to the passage here, demonstrate your love. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another. What, why does he throw without grumbling in there? <laughs> now, the context here is they were, they were supposed to be willing to open up their houses to others. Now, I know people who've got a wonderful gift of doing that. And it's not that I wouldn't, you know, have you guys. But I tell you what, I'm not going to open my house up to anybody. I have a hard time. One of my sons had to move back in because of the whole COVID thing. It's like, how's that apartment search coming here, buddy? 
I know it's only been five minutes, but I'm just, you know, just wondering, just you know, hope all this coming together. <laughs> I'm teasing. He can stay as long as he wants, as long as he's saving money and, and giving me 2000 bucks a month rent. I'm good with that. It works for me. Let being hospitable demonstrate your love and to not whine and complain about it. Serious about love, brothers. Number three, be serious about serving, verse 10 through 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with which God supplies that in all things, here again, all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom you belong, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter was preaching there a little bit, got a little bit going. Amen. Then he figured out he had to finish the rest of the letter. So verse 10, though, as each one has received a gift. And, of course, by gift, Peter means an ability to do something some actions, some tasks that God uses in us for the furtherance of his kingdom. That's what we're talking about, gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, huge list of all these things that we're talking about. The most prominent, the gift of teaching, evangelism, administration, gift of health, gifts of encouragement, name a few. But, guys, it's not the gift that's the important thing. See, that was the problem with the Corinthians, they all thought that they had, especially when it came to the gift of tongues. Woo, man, I'm a pretty spiritual guy because I can shamalama ding dong better than all of y'all. I mean, that kind of a thing. It's not the gift. It's the use of the gift that's the focus here. Peter says, minister it to one another. Whatever the gift is, use it for God's glory and kingdom, understanding that it was given by him. So the question tonight, are you using these gifts? And are you serving and ministering? That's the emphasis here. While these people were suffering, while they were going through it, all the trials, all the things going on, didn't matter. They still were to be used of God in the church, in the service of ministering one to another, whatever gift it was. And in this room, there's all kinds of gifts represented, all kinds and the great thing is, so many of I mean, back there, how many guys were thankful for the gift of hospitality back there for our brother serving the coffee tonight? Amen. That was a gift right there. He could have said, go to Starbucks, get your own coffee. This is all mine. <laughs> or he could have charged you five bucks a cup. He didn't. Are you using these gifts? There's some that have gifts in this room that you're just, you're keeping them all to yourself. No way. I ain't sharing them. Uh-uh. We got to share these things. Number one, all have some type of gift. All, he says. As each one has received. Find out where your giftings are by asking God to show you. Oftentimes, usually the gifts have to do with something that, that could be come a little bit more naturally to you. Um, I believe I have the gift of administration, and it's something that, that just... It was there, but then, of course, God has used. But it can also be something that has to be developed, like the gift of teaching. Some are natural teachers. Boom, first time they taught, bam, hit it out of the park. Others 
fear, trembling like Paul, like, oh, my gosh, I can't speak in front of people. And it's a gift that, that there's a development that goes on. Remember Moses. Moses had the gift of leadership, no doubt, even before. But how did he do with the speaking part? Interesting, huh? Man, he's like, no way, God, to get Aaron up there in front, not me. I'm hiding back here. Now, so there's these gifts, so some natural, some not so natural. The key, though, find out what your gifts are and jump in to be used. And number two, of course, use what God has given you. Don't waste it. Don't take it for granted. Don't let it be in vain. Be a good steward of what God has given to you. And, of course, number three, don't become prideful or puffed up. That's the problem here. He says here that all, in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And, of course, that is a huge problem. It has been a huge problem in the church. Back to what the Corinthians were going through. Paul was telling you, they thought they were super special because they could speak in tongues. If you didn't speak in tongues, eh, sorry, you're kind of, you're in the back of the church, second class. And the problem with gifts that come from the Lord is that when they're in operation, Men who are operating in these gifts receive the praise for those gifts. And instead of just passing that right on to the Lord, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They're like, thank you. <laughs> that was a pretty good whatever. I, yeah. I mean, I, I did a great job serving the coffee today. Man, I'm the coffee man. I got the coffee gift. <laughs> Woo. And, and we begin to take it upon ourselves. And what does he say, though? Man, let him, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And too much in Christianity, the man who receives the praise takes the praise upon himself. And before you know it, the devil comes up because what happened to Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the worship leader in heaven? They probably like, oh, Lucifer, wow, And he got puffed up, took it upon himself. God equips that he may be glorified, not us. And it's interesting, it's, it's, it's a gift given to you. How can I take credit for something that I receive from somebody else? No. Given by God that blesses people for his glory, so the application for us, number one, we must become serious about prayer, brothers. Got to. I'm convicted. I mean, I'm, but I'm so looking forward to like getting, ah, oh, no, that's it. I'm going there. We need men that are in constant communication with the Lord, as Paul said there in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. That to me speaks of this idea of we walk in his presence. We walk in this you know, being synced, you know, like, like my phone to, to Bluetooth, you know. It's just synced constantly. I got my Bluetooth with the Lord. I'm talking to him all the time, all the time as I go through my day. But then there's those men that are on their knees, like David, Psalm 55, and Daniel in, in chapter 6, verse 10. In Psalm 55, morning, evening and morning and noon, will I cry unto you. David, these, these designated times. And Daniel, when the governors and the satrap made that proclamation and had the king sign it so that no one could worship any other god except for the king alone. And what does Daniel do? He hears the edict, 
reads the writing, whatever, goes to his room, opens up the windows to Jerusalem, and what does he do? I'd love to be able to go back to that room. I wonder if they have that idea where that might be. And what does he do? Three times that day, prayed. Designated times. And Jesus, of course, was and is. I won't say a man of prayer, but he was a man of prayer while he was here on earth. Of course, Scripture speaks clearly. Jesus, Luke 5, 16, he often withdrew to pray. Chapter 6, verse 12 of Luke says he went all night in prayer. Anybody have been to an all-night prayer vigil? We used to do this at the Nazarene church before we got here. <laughs> that was crazy. It was actually really cool. You know, and of course, you had the pews there to take a little break and come back to the huddle and such. But, um, man, what would that be like, huh? Key is, guys, we got to quit making excuses. 2 Corinthians 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Turn on the news. Watch the sports. No. Humble themselves and pray. Quit making excuses. We have the time. Amen? We have the time. We have the time. Got to designate it. Must become serious about prayer number two. Above all things, love. Above all things. Speaks of the supreme importance of love, you guys. Paul said the same thing. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Again, you need to know the addresses. Such a great passage. Chapter 3, Colossians, just, just, such a great chapter. Chapter 3, verse 12, though. Hear them pages? They go and hear the pages roughly. Therefore, chapter 3, verse 12 of Colossians, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So we have this, this incredible list of virtues, tender, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving. But what does he say? Verse 14. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all, think about it, hatred, violence, racism, prejudice, division, all the sins of the world, all the sins of America, cured by love. If people would simply love God, love others. Think about it. Think about a world like that. Of course, it would be heaven. Number three, is your love growing cold? Something to think about. Jesus said that was going to take place in the last days in Matthew 24, 12, saying that because lawlessness or Sin rampant everywhere, is another translation, will abound. The love of many will grow cold. So this last day scenario that will come because that when we're sinned against, when people are doing things against us, when we are wronged, man, I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. I don't care anymore. It's time to pull out the, I mean, the crazy stuff that goes on. 
And love growing cold is evidence, guys, really, that you would rather let a relationship go than to work at it. It's like, I'm done with it. I'm done with you. I'm done. Forget it. You want to be that way? You want to act that way? Boom. I'm out of here. Husbands saying that to wives. People saying that to neighbors. People saying that to, to in-laws, co-workers, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just done over that. Or you'd rather stick to yourself, isolate yourself, then reach out. Then to be the one that, that humbles themselves and goes. It's more like, yeah, just leave me alone. Everybody thought about it, just like, I'm moving to the mountains. I'm moving to the desert. I'm moving to get me as far away from people as possible. I know we've all had those thoughts. <laughs> get me out of here. Or how's this one? This is a little more down to earth here. You're blocking more people, more and more people on your phone and your social media. It's like, well, I don't want no phone calls from them. Psh, I, I want that person. I don't want them on my social. Pretty soon you're down to like two people. <laughs> All right, I'm happy now. Is your love growing cold, brothers? Something to think about in your own heart. And then number four, be ready for greater warfare. If Peter could see the signs, and we can see the signs, like I said earlier, so can the enemy. Revelation 12, 12 is a radical passage of Scripture, verse here. Of course, it's the context of the tribulation, but it's, it's there recorded. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. Now, it's believed that that is, contextually speaking, of the time of the tribulation. But still, he still knows the time is short. He knows the time is short. He knows he can see the signs of the times. He's recognizing, whoo, it could be any minute here, guys. Come on, demons, get to work, get to work, get to work. And would anybody agree that they're work? Anybody dealing with that? Even dealing with the spiritual warfare that goes on in the mind? Man, guys, ready for war. Peter, the end of all things is at hand. So, guys, encourage you. Let's get serious about prayer, serious about love, serious about serving. What a, what a great place to be, just those three things as we continue to walk this walk. Now, of course, more than likely, we will all put off this tent before the Lord returns, if we're looking at the statistics, I should say. But it could be tonight. Still, if it's not until, you know, I die, whatever time that is, or it is tonight, man. I could be in prayer. I could do a much better job loving. And man, I can continue serving Jesus. Because really, what else matters? All the things we, we strive for in this earth and this time, they don't mean nothing. Not when it comes to eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter, Lord. Thank you for a great letter. Thank you for the encouragement that is in it, Lord. And as we look around, as we see the signs of the times all around us, and of course, <laughs> only you know, Lord, but we are so thankful that you do know. And Lord, we are praying that it could be today. If not, Lord, 
we continue to um, walk in your ways, Lord. And Father, I do pray for this area of prayer. Let it be something that is such a wonderful invitation, as even Hebrews says, that let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And that God, truly, this area of love, Lord, we know the answer for the world's woes, and that's you. And ultimately, it is your love. Help us, Lord, to be those who spread that love, who demonstrate that love, leaving the rest in your hands, Lord, to fix all the problems. And Lord, even in this area of serving, I pray for these men here tonight who have not found that place, who have not been able to recognize their gifts. Lord, speak, minister, show them what your plan is, what your will is for their lives, Lord, uh, knowing that uh, in that place of serving you, man, there's just no better joy, no greater joy, Lord. So bless these guys in their groups. Be with us, we pray, as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen.